What up, film fans? Welcome to Chatting Script, the show where me, Luke, I chat script about mine and your favorite films and TV shows and do film analysis and all of that fun, nerdy film stuff. Um, If you're a regular listener, you already knew that. If you're new to the pod, that's what it's all about. Um, Yeah. Anyway, please do rate, review, subscribe to any of the social media channels or the places you listen to this. I believe it's called following on Spotify and it's called subscribing on YouTube and any other platform that you listen to or watch this, please hit that subscribe button. Please also follow our social, my social media pages at chatting script, both on Instagram and Twitter. That is the admin out of the way that I always forget to do. So there we go. It is done. Uh, this episode is brought to you by, no, this episode I wanted to actually do a film analysis because I haven't done one for a little while. I've been kind of busy. As I said on the last episode of this, I've been, life has been coming at me full on. Um, so I haven't had a chance to do it. I wanted to do one today. However, my neighbors have been renovating their house for about a year. And for the last two hours, they finally shut the fuck up, right? I'm so <laughs> this was this was annoying the bejesus out of me. I, I literally two hours ago, I should have started recording a podcast, but I couldn't because all I could hear was for like two hours. I was going out of my mind. So as a result, I have ran out of time to do a movie analysis podcast today. So shame on my neighbors and their bloody selfish renovations. <laughs> so instead we're doing this, um, where I'm just going to chat a little bit of script about um, The Last of Us. So spoilers for The Last of Us TV show up to episode 8, not including the last episode, episode 9, because that hasn't come out yet at time of recording. Spoilers also for uh, The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 1. And spoilers also for Star Wars, The Bad Batch TV show, Season 2, up to Episode 11. Those are things I'm definitely going to talk about on this episode, so getting that spoiler alert out the way. Uh, As and when the spoilers will come, who knows? Because I jump around like a madman. When I talk, ADD brain. Anyway, The Last of Us. Could it be better? I think it could. Don't get me wrong. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it very much. But it could be better. It, uh, I really, I, I have really enjoyed it. There are parts of it that I have really, actually most of it I've really enjoyed. My only criticism of it Really, yeah, okay, yeah. It is all fantastic. The performances are fantastic. The filming's fantastic. The set design, the uh, like costume design, the special effects, the practical effects, you know, all of that stuff. It's all fantastic. However, let me take a sip of this water. My criticism of it and considering I'm someone who's played the games, both 1 and 2 and the DLC, in the show, 
there is no way near enough infected. Okay? So, like, episode one, when it all goes to shit at the beginning, there's some infected, but they're not really in the episode. All right, fair enough. We're laying the groundwork, introducing characters, getting some important plot points and, you know, set up out the way. I can bide that. Episode two has an amazing, like, game accurate, not in terms of, like, all the, not just copy and pasting what happens in the game, um, but it has a game accurate in terms of, like, the atmosphere surrounding an encounter with the clicker infected you know the ones that are blind but have that sort of they click and it it's like a sonar sort of thing that's how they they see and things it has like a game accurate atmosphere to that it has some really intense uh like camera usage on that like i think i may have spoken about it on another episode of this pod where uh joel's running away from one he sort of loses it and he has his back up against like a, a sort of glass cabinet and there's a wide where you can see the clicker behind him and, and him. And then he has to start reloading his revolver and the camera moves in close. It doesn't cut. It just moves in close onto Joel's face. And then through the use of sound, it's where, where we can see the clicker in the background and the use of sound of the clicker sort of being quiet in the, um, you know, in the, in the sort of speakers, as it were. Then when it, the camera moves into Joel, we don't hear anything from the clicker for ages. And then all of a sudden we hear the clicker quite loudly just through like the left hand speaker, which indicates it's moved right near Joel's face. Really intense, really like heart racing. Amazing. Uh, episode three, an amazing love story between Frank and Bill. Okay, fair enough. Episode four, a bit more character, blah, blah, blah. Episode five has an amazing sequence, but it's right at the end, involving a lot of infected. Uh, and that, something I will talk about a little bit more as well, it, does, it's, it has a really game-accurate sequence in it. Like, it's more or less a copy of one of the sort of set pieces of the game, and that's great. But, as of episode 8, that's the last time we saw any infected, was episode 5. So, they're in the first one a little bit, they're quite prominent in the second episode. They're prominent at the end of the fifth episode. And then they're not in any... Up until... not Up until and not including episode eight. So that gives us episode three and episode four. And episode six, seven, and eight. That's five of the eight released with zero infected. Right? And I, I'm not saying that I want the show to have, like, more action sequences in it. It's sometimes... Well, no, it it's often at its best when it is focusing on the characters and the drama and the relationships and those sort of plot points. And I totally understand that, like, from a sort of, like, uh, an adaptation point of view, those are the points that are a little bit more important when it comes to like driving the narrative of the story whereas when you i'm talking about tv adaptation whereas when you're playing the game um you can sort of get away with having more elements of of zombie and uh, sorry infected interaction in it because 
it it doesn't look like filler because it's interactive gameplay. Whereas if they were just throwing in a bunch of different action sequences and infected moments in there, it may look like filler. However, there is a way you can do it because my my issue with them with there not being a lot of infected in there is someone who maybe hasn't played the game. It it's almost easy to forget that there's a threat of infected. It's like it's like that that threat is especially by the time you finish episode eight, the threat of the infected is basically non-existent. And you're like, well, that's the whole point of this apocalyptic landscape that they live in. And the whole, and like most of the confrontations that happen, other than the like interpersonal confrontations, you know, like the ones on a on a more human level, like between uh, Joel and his brother. Um, oh God, what's his brother's name? Tommy. You know, other than those sort of interpersonal ones, the the other threats and conflicts are always other groups, you know, uh, raiders or scavengers or people like that. And But the, the only reason those raiders and scavengers exist is because everybody is in this post-apocalyptic world. And the reason they're in the post-apocalyptic world is because there's a bunch of infected running around trying to turn everybody into one of them. And that threat just is not being displayed enough for my liking right and slight tangent but it is relevant i'm a huge fan of the walking dead for years i used to say the walking dead was the best show on tv and you can judge me for saying that if you want i know that it's not a perfect show there are more perfect shows like breaking bad was absolute 10 out of 10 all the way through five perfect seasons well done to them maybe the walking dead good did go on a little bit long but it is drawing from comic source material so you know it kind of had to, in a way, go on, as long as it did, um, and I know that it's not all perfect all the way through, I personally love it, I think it's an amazing show, one of the most common criticisms I would hear from people about The Walking Dead is that it's majoritively just people fighting people or people arguing, and there's a distinct lack of like zombie encounters and zombie fighting in there, And I always used to say, well, no, there's enough zombies to keep you in the realm of, like, this is a zombie show. But then also the times where... Because The the Walking Dead, to me, was always a study of what happens to the human psyche when something like a zombie apocalypse happens. And when I say what happens to the human psyche, I mean, in in every respect, can you stay level-headed will you resort to some sort of madness like Morgan for example Um, how far are you willing to go either to survive or to protect those you love and is that in a sense or how far will you go in terms of like are you willing to kill other people is that a line you can't cross do you become some sort of maniacal um, megalomaniac narcissistic leader like Negan you know it it, to me that was always the kind of that was always the study of it um and there were enough moments throughout it where you were you were always reminded of the threat of not only other people and other survivors but of zombies themselves and it could be something as simple as they see a, a a gas station because it was an american show 
pet petrol station if you're like me it british um they see a gas station on the side of the road and they have to go siphon some gas to you know keep their their cars going etc and there might be like a handful of undead that they have to clear out and it you know after a few seasons into the show clearing out a handful of <gasps> excuse me sorry clearing out a handful of undead was like child's play to them but the point that it, it was still there and they still had to do it was um enough to sort of remind you that this is the world they live in and this is part and parcel of you know of surviving is there will always be these encounters they could just be walking in the woods hunting and all of a sudden there'll be a zombie coming out of like some encrusted moss that it's been there for like five six years and then they just dispose of that or something you know where um so if and i yeah so i would always defend the walking dead by saying you know it's a study of the human psyche anyway but there are definitely still enough interactions with zombies and there's huge set piece sequence with sequences with zombies throughout the walking dead to really double down and remind you that you know that is one of the sort of pillars of the show whereas with the last of us if if i'm going to if if you want to treat it fairly and draw a comparison between that then you also have to look at The Last of Us through the same lens and go, okay, well, it is ultimately a, an apocalypse show, a post-apocalypse sort of survival show. And yeah, you know, it's 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 multi-layered in the sense that it's largely about Joel and Ellie's relationship and, and Joel being a um, sort of grieving father figure and Ellie, you know, um, being someone who hasn't had a lot of relationships with with anybody she's been quite alone and she's quite young so she needs that sort of parental figure or an older brother figure or just someone really to sort of like you know love her platonically or or romantically not saying joel will love her romantically because that's not their relationship but you feel me there's there's voids she needs filled basically you know as is the case with many people anyway so there's all those multi-layers to it, but ultimately it is a, is a an undead apocalypse sort of show. I know they're infected, but it's effectively the same thing. Um, and yeah, so there's just not enough of that. There's just not enough infected in there. You know, having the, the sort of set-piece sequence with the clickers was fantastic, and having the set-piece with the bloater and all those other infected at the end of episode 5 was amazing, but... It it did start to feel like, hang on, is, isn't this show meant to have some infected in it? Like, why are we only seeing confrontations with people? And then I had the thought of, like, has anybody seen the Viggo Mortensen film The Road? Uh, Viggo Mortensen being Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, if you're not familiar with him by name. But he did that film, I think it came out in, like, oof. I want to say 2006 or seven. It, it's kind of old. Well, it's not old, but you know what I mean. It's not recent. Um, and the whole film is a, po a post-apocalyptic film. Um, I can't remember if you ever find out why the world is fallen apart, but it is a post-apocalyptic film. Viggo Mortensen and his, uh, I believe it's his son, are just making their way through the world, scavenging, trying to survive, 
Yada, yada, yada. But it is that same dynamic of the older, gruff, sort of father figure survivor and then the younger child that they're trying to protect, right? Same dynamic that we have with Joel and Ellie, the same dynamic that you had with Logan and X. I think her name was X, Weapon X, whatever it is, in um, Logan. You know, it's it's a dynamic that has effectively been done to death. But that's not to say it's a, it doesn't work or isn't good. Um, but with... Uh, yeah, to compare it to The Road, you know, the whole film, the biggest threat they face is other groups, scavengers, cannibals, that kind of thing. So where there's been so little infected in The Last of Us, and if you take up those two episodes I've mentioned, episode two and episode five, where there are moments with the infected, it kind of just does feel like The Road to me, you know? And I, I, I get... I, I I enjoy the moments where they're being game accurate, you know, the um the relationship with sorry, the, the interaction with those two brothers. I can't remember their name. They're the two brothers that they that they find spoiler alert and one of them is well, around about the same age as Ellie, a bit younger, and the spoiler alert is that he gets infected, um and uh, the older brother ends up shooting him and the, I can't remember their names. Um, but there's like that was pretty game accurate. Uh, the the sequence I was talking about at the end of episode five, where Joel's in the sort of um, not it's not a bell tower, but he's in like a, a a crow's nest of sorts with a sniper rifle, shooting down um, like to the infected and to the uh, other um, scavengers and stuff, trying to protect Ellie and everybody. Like that was really really game accurate, and I loved that the interaction or the sorry the sequence and everything with Ellie and the crazy preacher guy in episode 8 and then how at like the end the set piece of that is when they're in the sort of tavern and it's on fire and Ellie's trying to hide from him and stuff like that was also really game accurate as well and like I've loved all those moments I've been like oh my god some of this dialogue is straight from the game these like sequences are straight from the game like this is how you do a game adaptation correctly take note resident evil um, sorry for these bebops. I forgot to uh, mute stuff, but I'm not going to do it now. So there might just be every now and then. Hopefully not. Um, anyway, yeah. So I've I've loved those moments where it's been like game accurate, but also one of the most, at least for me when I was playing the games, one of the most fun parts of the game was like, you never know when you're going to go into an area that has some infected lurking in there that might spring out of the shadows or they're encrusted into the sort of fungus things in the walls and then they just lunge out at you or you might accidentally be loud and all of a sudden there's 10 infected running at you like it it creates a sense of suspended peril or suspended danger and suspended risk and you're sort of always on your toes when you're playing the game. And that was one of the most fun things for me was because you're never allowed to relax. But I feel like with this film, uh, sorry, with this TV show, partly as well because I do know that where they are following the story beats of the game pretty accurately, I kind of know what's 
coming. And I don't mind that because they are doing the story beats of the game very well and very accurately and they're very brilliantly acted and blah, 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 blah. Like, that's all great. But I am... I'm not watching it. Like, there are times where I'd watch The Walking Dead. See, I don't know if this is just my overactive imagination, but there were so many times where I was watching The Walking Dead and I would be on the edge of my seat waiting for something to jump out at the character's and often nothing would happen and it would be entirely fabricated by my own psyche. And there were probably hundreds or thousands of people that were watching The Walking Dead as well and going, well, this is boring as shit, nothing's happening. But me in my head, I'm going, oh my God, what's going to jump out? What's going to happen? What's going to blah, 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 blah. And nothing would happen. But that's partly why I enjoyed the show. Not because nothing happened, but because I felt like you, no one ever felt safe and no situation ever felt completely calm. But with um, The Last of Us, there's just been almost a sense of safety with it, which sounds silly to say. And just the lack of infected for me is... is, is I want more of it, man. I, I really do. Um, let me just consult my notes real quick. Um, <coughs> I think I managed to remember all these notes without actually looking at it. Yeah, so it is just that that loss of of peril um, that I want. Anyway, that's twenty minutes of me rambling about how I think the Last of Us could be better. But also, you know, I haven't seen episode nine yet because it hasn't come out yet. So maybe there'll be some, you know, amazing infected sequence in episode nine. And I really hope there will be. But I, I'm watching it on HBO, not on HBO. I'm watching it on Now TV, right? HBO. There's our like UK equivalent. Because they use it. it doesn't matter, anyway. So and they tell you how long the the next episode is gonna be, and it says forty two minutes. And I watch it with my housemate, and we were saying like, okay, we know what story beats are gonna come next. I won't go through them now in case people are listening to or watching this that haven't played the game and and are only watching the show and don't know what story beats are gonna come next. But we were saying like, there's a. F- fair amount to cram into the next 42 minutes like they could do it but one of the things we've enjoyed about the show as well is like the preacher guy from episode 8 you don't really get a lot of backstory about that guy and I'm pretty sure you don't get any scenes with him in that Ellie also isn't a part of so just to sort of explain what I mean a little bit more, is we see scenes of him back at his camp with his people, you know, leading them, uh, reading out prayers to them, domineering them, all these kind of things that give him more substance than than what you get in the game. Whereas you only sort of find out things about him in the game sort of um, anecdotally, like he him telling Ellie things. I'm pretty sure anyway, if memory serves. Um, So the TV show basically gives us more layers, unpacks things a bit more, which has been great. It's done that all the way throughout. It did it loads more with like Bill and Frank. That was amazing. So, you know, bueno for that. That's cool. If they're going to do that with episode nine and the, the people and players that come into play in episode 9, I'm choosing my words carefully because, like I said, I don't want to spoil it for people, but the things, the people and, and all that that come into play and in, in what should be the conclusion to this, 
it's the conclusion to the first game. They may struggle to add more into it in episode nine. However, if they, I don't, I wouldn't mind if they don't because of how the second game plays out. And again, without trying to spoil it, you find out more about the people in the final sequence of the first game in the second game. So, in it, and that almost serves the narrative of the second game better. The fact that you don't know a lot about the people at the end of the first game. I hope I haven't said too much, but yeah. So, I don't know. I I so my point was sorry that I. Based on the runtime of that episode, I can't see them doing a big infected sequence in that in in that episode to round things off, along with the actual sort of story and plot points that round out the first game. I'm assuming they're gonna round out this uh, series the same way the game finishes, because everything else has been pretty accurate all the way through. Anyway. Uh, we're going to move on to Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 1. Um, I was super excited for this to come out, man. Um, I again, Without getting too tangential, um, Disney has been hit and miss with um, its Star Wars content. I've done a whole podcast on why I love The Last Jedi. If you disagree with me and you haven't listened to that podcast, please do before you come at me in comment sections. There are people who have come at me in comment sections on that episode and I know haven't actually listened to the fucking thing because the stuff they've written in their comments is null and void by the things I've said in the episode. So before you come at me, hear what I have to say, and then come at me with a well-constructed, informed argument instead of just being a whiny little bitch. Okay? Good. Anyway, some of the other things they kind of missed on was Obi-Wan um, had a great final episode. The rest of it was meh. Uh, some of the... St- oh, and of course, The Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker... I have very strong feelings about those not being great films. Rise of Skywalker more so than The Force Awakens. Um, Stuff they've hit on, though. Mandalorian. Andor. The Last Jedi. Um, Boba Fett, I did enjoy. Admittedly, was a lot stronger when it was mainly about The Mandalorian, more so than it was Boba Fett. Uh, but I did enjoy Boba Fett. Um, I, I can't remember if I ever said this on a podcast, but I was talking to a friend about it, well, not a friend, someone I know, and they were saying that they hated it because Boba Fett wasn't meant to be like that based on like the comics and stuff. And I'm like, well, in those comics that you're referring to, that's Boba Fett prior to being eaten by a Sarlacc. At least in the the conversation I was having, they were directly referencing things when Boba Fett was younger, when he was more badass, when he wasn't, you know, semi-devoured by a Sarlacc. Um, And I didn't mind uh, the, the Boba Fett TV show sort of justification for reining him in a little bit, because at this point in his life, he's he's at least middle aged. He's getting on a little bit. And the life of a bounty hunter in Star Wars and all that stuff that goes with it is quite a brutal, short 
existence. Most of them end up dead, you know, before they're 60. Whereas Boba Fett is in that 50 to 60 range. He's having a change of tact. He's, instead of being a soldier effectively, and when I say soldier, I don't mean he works for an army. He is an independent bounty hunter. But instead of being a soldier, he's choosing to be a sort of a gang lord or a general, you know, a leader of an organized crime syndicate as opposed to being a foot soldier or, or a mercenary or, or a gun for hire or a bounty hunter. You get me? Um, so I think it's almost wise for him. And I'm if if I want to read or whatever the, the stories of him being this like merciless, brutal killer, I can do that. I can go and read those comics. But what we don't have of Boba Fett is what is he doing in his old age? So that's what this show is giving us. So I didn't mind that. I can. There was a lot of cheesy shit in it, like the Vespa things that those, like tweens or whatever, were riding was probably massively unnecessary. And I heard that John Favreau was massively against them, but Kathleen Kennedy, in her infinite <coughs> wisdom, I suppose, uh, insisted on them being there for some fucking reason, probably because she thought it would make good merchandise. Um, because Disney's all about the money. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, yeah, it was hit and miss. Anyway. So, um, yeah, Mandalorian Season 3. Uh, episode 1. Uh, I only realised... So, when I, when I watched the episode, I was like, okay, I'm enjoying this. I'm getting into it. This is great. And then it ended... And I was like, well, that seemed too short. That was a really quick ending. And then I remembered that most of the Mandalorian episodes are really short anyway. Like, they're around about that 40-minute mark. And I'm, maybe I'm just used to watching stuff that's, like, closer to the hour mark when it comes to TV shows. But I was like, that felt too short. I wanted more. Um, but, you know, either way, that's just how it goes. Um, sometimes the Mandalorian is at its strongest when there's been... Well, like, so, like, I think it was episode two of season two, the Crate Dragon episode. Was it the Crate Dragon? The, 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 on Tatooine with, um, oh my God, what's his name? Ah, uh, I'm going to have to quickly Google this. I love this actor as well. I'm annoyed at myself for not remembering his name, Mandalorian Season, Timothy, fuck, what's his last name, Timothy, something just flashed at me, that was weird, anyway, uh, yeah, The Marshal, oh, is that episode, oh, it's, it's chapter nine, it's episode one from season two, I think his name's Tim Timothy Oliphant, uh, yeah, it is. Timothy Oliphant. Um, great actor. So good. But he played uh, Cobb Vanth in that episode. And I think he came back in another one. Yeah, no, he did. Uh, he came back in Boba Fett, I think. Anyway, he that episode with the with the giant like uh, Tatooine dragon thing. I'm pretty sure it was called a crate dragon. Uh, but now I'm second guessing my Star Wars knowledge. Anyway, um... What point were you trying to make, Luke? Well, I'll tell you as soon as my ADD will let me get back on track. The point I was... Fuck off, pop-ups. God damn it. Uh, 
point I was trying to make is that those like sort of big monster battles and sequences and stuff um, were quite often like the most highly regarded moments of the Mandalorian. Um, like there's the one in in season one. I can't remember what episode it is, but it's the first time we see baby Grogu use its force powers. You know, baby Yoda. Um, and it's that rhino thing in the mud where he's trying to trade with the Jawas and like for parts of his ship back, and he has to like get the some sort of pearl or valuable stone or whatever from this rhino thing. Uh, yeah, and that was like an amazing sequence. The crate dragon thing, the spider, the snow spider things in season two as well, which was more like a sort of uh, monster movie kind of. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not montage. When you honor something, when you like respect it and show homage, it was a monster movie homage. Fromage Frey. Yeah, it was one of them. Um, that yeah that's quite often when it's at its best and I did feel like as much as that sequence where they were fighting that like massive alligator type monster thing in Mando season 3 episode 1 as kind of cool as that was I was like this seems a bit shoehorned in out of nowhere were they just giving us an action sequence for the sake of giving us an, a giving us an action sequence maybe they were um, either way it was pretty cool um, but yeah it did feel maybe I the only reason I bring that up as a point of potential criticism is because I was worried that maybe there was going to be too much flashy style over substance. And I was really hoping we were going to get a shitload of substance in this season, mainly because of what they were setting up in Boba Fett regarding like the history of the Mandalore and, you know, their planet and all the kind of the cult stuff that you know the death squad cult stuff that they have and like all all this shit um yeah so to have a sort of a moment of where we're basically seeing this kid be indoctrinated into the mando cult and like say his uh i don't know rite of passage thing or whatever it is then it gets interrupted by this giant alligator thing i was like mm, as fun as that was you know style of a substance uh, what else was I going to say oh yeah I don't, I don't know if Hondo is going to be in this season I feel like I saw somewhere that he's heavily rumoured to be in it which I was really excited about Hondo is a if you're not familiar with like the Clone Wars or Rebels um, animated shows not the Clone Wars film the Clone Wars animated TV series and the Rebels animated TV series Captain Hondo is a fantastic fucking character he's a pirate he's a scoundrel he has so many interactions with like anakin and obi-wan and ahsoka in um clone wars and he has interactions with ezra bridger and kanan and everybody in rebels one minute he's on their side and he helps them the next minute he's betraying them for his own gain you know he's, he's a typical pirate very typical pirate but he's a brilliant character and i was they in season three the uh mando we had those like pirate characters turn up at um oh, i can't remember the place ah oh, it's the it's oh shit what's that guy's name carl it's the guy from predator why i can't remember anyone 
to regular listeners of this podcast, this is not new to uh, to anybody. The fact that I can't fucking remember anybody's names or anything, but it's the geezer from uh, the Predator, uh, and he plays Apollo Creed. So if you've thought about his name and you're screaming, Carl Weathers, that dude, what a boy. It, the the settlement that he's sort of like improving and, and being a, a like a sort of governor over. Um. Anyway, these pirates show up there and I was like, oh my God, are we going to get Hondo? And then instead they referenced a different captain whose name I can't remember now. Surprise, surprise. And then we eventually saw that captain and it was like some seaweed head looking bitch. And I was like, who are you? You know, he may be some deep cut from Star Wars that I'm not familiar with. And there's probably Star Wars fans listening to this going, oh my God, you don't even know that character? Yeah, I don't know that character. He's some seaweed head looking bitch as far as I'm concerned. Because I wanted Hondo and we didn't get him. We might get him, so I might be jumping the gun. But we didn't get him then. Instead, we got fucking... Star Wars' knockoff of The Thing. The Swamp Thing. Not The Thing. That's the rock guy from Fantastic Four. So we'll, we'll take that again. Instead, we got Star Wars' knockoff of Swamp Thing. There we go. Nailed it. Uh, I also feel like Bo-Katan, as in the, if you're not familiar with her by name, the uh, female ginger-haired Mandalorian. I also feel like maybe her cameo at the end was a little bit shoehorned in a little bit unnecessary i think it might have just been there like plot wise and writing wise i think she might have just been there to remind people a that she is involved in this narrative and and b what her stake in, in it is in the sense that she wanted the dark saber and she wanted to because with the dark saber you get like uh um like the right to rule Mandalore and people will follow you and all that but she didn't get it instead Dinjarin Pedro Pascal got it uh, so her like claim to the throne of Mandalore was effectively void uh, so they were probably just reminding us of her um, you know involvement in the story and, and her stakes and all that sort of stuff by by bringing her in at the end but it did feel a little bit unnecessary because all that happened was Mando went over to her and was like hey I need some information regarding some stuff about our shared home world and where I can find certain things and she had to tell him and I was like because his creed his Mandalorian creed as I'm sure you all know involves certain things like he can't take off his helmet or that goes against his creed and one of the ways to, or the only way, I think, to uh, atone for breaking elements of his creed, like removing his helmet, is to, like, bathe in the water mines or something below the surface of Mandalore. If that's that important to his creed, he should know how to get there and where it is. Bo-Katan doesn't conform to his particular creed, is fine taking off her helmet, but knew where to get to the mines. Is that just because she was a more prominent figure? Like her sister used to be the governor, I think, of Mandalore. She has an amazing story in, with Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars TV show. Heartbreaking shit between those two. Anyway, um, 
So maybe because of her sort of like uh, position in the society of Mandalore, she might know how to get there or whatever. And maybe that wasn't public knowledge. But I feel like Mando should have probably known that. So it did seem a bit weird because all he does was fly down to her, go, hey, can you help me get here? And she goes, yeah, it's over there. And he goes, nice one, see you in a bit. That was basically it. And I was like, well, that was a bit unnecessary. Then the episode ended and I was like, well, I wanted more. I wanted more. But we did have some cool sequence. There was a really cool uh, space chase between Mando and the pirates. That was really nice. Um, yeah, you know, it was good. It was good. I'm not knocking it. It was good. I think I'm just in a critical mood. <laughs> so I'm being critical. But, you know, it's episode one. Early days. Like I say, they were probably just drip feeding us plot points. Cap- catching us up with who's who and what they're doing and this, that and the other. You know. Um... So that brings me to the Bad Batch, uh, the sort of spin-off animated show of Star Wars. So you've got Star Wars The Clone Wars animated show, then Star Wars Rebels, and then Star Wars The Bad Batch, which canonically fits somewhere between the two of them, if you're not familiar with it. And this is going to... I'm going to talk about anything from Season 1 up to Episode 2 of Season... Sorry, up to Episode 11 of Season 2. Um... If you're still listening at this point. If you are still listening, please do rate, review, subscribe, and follow all of the uh, social media channels. This podcast was brought to you by Sean Connery. Anyway. Wait, he assaulted women or said it's okay to assault women, so maybe it wasn't brought to you by Sean Connery. Maybe it was brought to you by someone nicer. Anyway. uh, My issue with The Bad Batch was kind of my issue with some of the episodes of the Clone Wars where and quite often it ended up not being an issue anyway and I'll explain what I mean is like sometimes there's a lot of filler and a lot of fluff but then the Clone Wars in particular and often Rebels as well would almost retcon that by making things that seemed irrelevant and seemed like filler at the time bringing them back and actually making them somewhat important or prominent like in rebels you have the uh, the bendu the big kind of like koala looking elephant thing on the planet that teaches kanan how to see via the force instead of his eyes and all that sort of shit um yeah, there were just there's there's a lot of moments lit throughout both of those shows where you're like, well, this is just fluff and filler and pointless, and then eventually you're like, oh, it turns out it was kind of important or at least relevant in some way. Uh, the Bad Batch seems to have a lot of that, <laughs> and it's it's definitely at its strongest when there there is always like an underlying narrative or theme. Um, it could be you know Crosshair trying to get revenge on the Bad Batch or try and track them down. Um, or the the generals that work quite closely with Crosshair, you know, they're either aware that the Bad Batch is still out there, or they have like this um, sort of over overarching like objective that they're trying to get, uh, and the, the Bad Batch are sometimes jumping in and out of like being relevant to that narrative. That's when it's at its strongest. And there was even an episode where I don't think the Bad Batch were in it at all. And I was like, this is one of the best episodes. And it was not 
necessarily I can't remember it now, but I remember thinking at the time this isn't a massively action based episode doesn't really have the bad batch in it, and it's been one of the best episodes because that narrative that like overarching narrative was so prominent throughout it, and I was like this is this is what we want, whereas then every now and then you get like they do that episode where they they do effectively pod racing, and I was like, I don't give a shit <laughs> to be blunt, you know um it however though whenever i've watched one of those episodes like the pod racing one that they do i'm like i I finish it and i'm like well that was pointless i didn't care and then next week before the episode comes out again i'm always like i'm really excited for the bad batch i think it's just because i'm excited to be back in that sort of like fun star wars world and that's the lore that keeps bringing me back to it the lure as in you know like the attraction not the star wars lore um, it's that's the attraction that keeps bringing me back to it because it is ultimately just good, fun Star Wars entertainment, you know, which is great. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is a bit kind of pointless. Um, however, one of the cool things of the last episode they did, episode 11, was a really great episode. They brought back the Zillow Beast, which if you're familiar with the Clone Wars animated show, was this like... It was essentially a King Kong uh, homage. There's that word again, homage. It was a King Kong homage where you have this like basically unkillable, massive, very destructive creature that they then take to a very civilized area. So they take it to Coruscant and obviously King Kong gets taken to New York, breaks loose, fucks up a bunch of shit. They have to kill it, blah, blah, blah. And... At the time, in that, I think it's in a trilogy or maybe a quadrilogy of episodes, Palpatine is still the Chancellor and he hasn't become the Sith Lord yet because this is Clone Wars era. He talks about cloning it. And then it's never mentioned again. And what the Bad Batch did was bring the Zilla Beast back and bring, re sort of remind us, re remind us or just remind us of that sort of cloning thing and i was like oh okay this is cool and then i started to worry that they're going to use this cloning plot line and storyline as a justification for cloning palpatine and bringing him back in the rise of skywalker i don't want them to retcon and justify and shoehorn that bullshit in because that was one of the most annoying things about the Rise of Skywalker is the fact that they were just like, oh, Palpatine's back, he's a clone, oh, Snoke was just a clone puppet. Bullshit. I go into more detail on that on my re- on my episode about why The Last Jedi is amazing. and You can listen to that for that because I'm not going to get into it now. But I really hope that's not what they're doing with this uh, Zilla Beast cloning thing. Anyway, uh, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about. Now, I will do my damnedest to get a movie analysis episode at you for next week. Um, Like I say, I would have done one today, but uh, neighbors and their construction prevented it. Anyway, uh, that's been Chatting Script. Again, please do rate, review, subscribe. Hit the follow, hit the subscribe Follow the social media pages. It's all at Chatting Script everywhere you want to find it, except it's only on Twitter and Instagram, so it's not everywhere you want to find it. It's only in those two places. 
Um, goodbye and have a lovely.